we go into this message, just that Father's Day for some is an all celebration. And I want to acknowledge in this moment right now and, and just say that I see you this morning. Those of you who have stepped in as fathers where others have stepped out. Those of you where Father's Day is actually represents a pain of the father you may have lost. Or a pain from the father that may not have been the father that you'd always hoped and expected for and seen in others. And so I wonder if we could just take a moment right now to open in prayer and just consider our father in heaven and his ultimate redeeming grace that can turn beauty from ashes. Can we do that together? Dear Lord, thank you so much, God, that you are our Father. And that, Lord, we live in this broken world where things don't always go according to plan. And God, I know that you see every hair on our head so you know exactly what each person in this room is navigating through right now. The emotions, the pain, the grief, and the joy as well, Lord. I pray right now and throughout this day that you would meet them where they're at. Holy Spirit, our comforter, would you be with us this morning and bring your peace and your hope and your joy that, God, we could never comprehend or get from anywhere else but you. In your mighty name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Am I back on there? Can I go without the microphone? Sound guys? Thumbs up? No? Just give me a thumbs down if it's a no. That's a thumbs up. Oh, I can't see. Let's go with the microphone. All right. Who can see these amazing rocking chairs down here at the front? Every Sunday we're back. We're into it. I'll take my phone out of my pocket. Wow. This is getting out of control. Every Father's Day, we have these special chairs down the front. Sometimes they're the big recliners and all that sort of stuff. And we like to invite the newest father to come and sit in one of the chairs. Who's the newest father here this morning? Are there any competitors in the room? I know Michael C. I mean, can you beat how old? How old's little Eli right now? Four weeks? Can anyone beat four weeks? Going once, going twice. Michael, the introvert, make your way to the seat, my friend. What have we got? We've got a mic. Have we got a little camera on him? Can you see him? There we go. Just because he hates being on camera. There we go. Look at that. Perfect. Nailed it. Now, the other one, I wanted to feel... Hey, could you take me out of this fold back in the back here? Thank you. The other one that I wanted to fill was with dad jokes. Who here thinks that they've got the best dad joke here this morning? <laughs> Family-friendly dad jokes. Come on, let's take some. Who's got, who's, who's, who have we got? Come on. You have to be a dad. Thank you. Rob Gratton? Rob Gratton, come join me up here for a second. Surely Michael Theodosio's around. That guy's got a dad joke every day. Michael, come join me. Come on, another taker. Ellie, you've got a dad joke? Yeah, come see if you can compete with a real dad. Come join me up on stage. Come join me up on stage. This is going to be funny. Rob, you're a school principal. Can I trust you? Yeah, I can trust you. Ellie, can I trust you? You're on staff here. Michael, I really don't know whether I can trust you. <laughs> Take it away, Rob. Number one. 
Okay, what is the only ship that has never sailed into Fremantle Harbour? Anyone? The Premier Ship. I'm a big fan of the Eagles, take it away. Ellie doesn't even get it. She's already starting on the back foot. You've got to be a dad to get it, Ellie. Oh, AFL. Ah, AFL. Thank you. All right, well, uh, my dad turned to me one time. He said, Elle, what's, what's your favourite What's your favorite month? I said, July. He said, why July? Oh. <laughs> hey, you know what? The delay is sometimes the evidence of a good dad joke, right? Michael, front and centre, mate. Can I trust you, Michael? Did you say appropriate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the one about the man that stayed up all night wondering where the sun went. Finally, it dawned on him. Who do we think for Rob Gratton? Oh, there's some Dockers fans in the house. For Ellie Cheeseman. For Michael Theo. Michael Theo, it's you, my friend. Come take your rightful place. I believe we've got early sausage sizzles and some Cokes that we're going to bring you that you can enjoy. Now, we are a church, aren't we? So why don't we jump into some scripture? <laughs> the scripture I want to explore today is a letter by Paul written to the church in Philippi. And we're going to jump right into Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, where Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Today, it's Father's Day. Next week, it's Are You Okay Day. And all this month of September, it's Suicide Prevention Month. So as a church, over the next three weeks, we're going to journey through this collection of talks on mental health and discover what Jesus and the Word of God says about navigating this terrain. And I don't think that Father's Day is the day that we avoid that. I think dads, if we're honest, for too long in history, have ignored some of this stuff. But this morning, I'm praying that dads, together, we can lead this church in a healthy direction when it comes to mental health. Are you with me? Yes. Oh, that wasn't deep enough. Where are the dads? Are you with me? Yes. Hey, I love it. I've titled the message this morning, Hacks to Happiness. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever had plans... And then those plans turn into a total disaster. Have you? I mean, you can't all answer no. You've all been here this morning. It was Mike Tyson who said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? These beautiful rocking chairs down here, if you didn't know, they're actually made by my dad. And so I thought it would be cool on Father's Day to brag about my dad a little bit to tell you about how an incredible craftsman 
he is. Actually, I think he's an artist when it comes to making these chairs. It's absolutely incredible. And recently, he's been working on another chair. Um, it's all going to plan. It was all going to plan. Until one night, he called me and he said, uh, I think there's a problem with this latest chair. Now, you've got to understand hundreds and hundreds of hours go into making this chair with expensive timber. And he said, I think there's a problem. It just looks slightly warped. And I said, oh, maybe it's the heat or something. Like, I don't know. I'm sure. I trust you, Dad. You'll you have it all figured out. Why don't we come in the morning and check out what's going on? And as I came in the morning over to Dad's house, he had it ready in the living room. And I walked in and I looked at it for a second. And I looked at it again. And I was like, Dad, I love you. Dad, I think you're a awesome craftsman with wood and and I know you're the professional here but I don't think this is a heat problem I think this is the left leg's been glued on the right leg kind of problem and it was a total disaster the front legs of this chair get glued on right at the end so everything is carved everything's put together glued and then these front legs were turned like this it just would never ever have worked (laughs) and I would have packed it in to be honest I would have quit I would have given up but you know what my dad has taught me throughout life is that the beauty isn't in the final product the beauty as it actually isn't in the finished product where you find the beauty most where the craftsman finds the beauty most is in actually uncovering the wood from its raw form in digging down and carving and sanding and forming this wood into what it is. It's the story of the chair that is so much more beautiful than the chair itself. You get what I'm talking about? And so he said, we've got to go again. We've got to go find some more wood that will match this, and we've got to go again. We've got to carve it. We've got to sand it. We've got to spend more hours because it's not about the finished product. It's about the process that we go through. And I got to spend over the last few weeks, because there was a deadline too, for the client. Days and days in the shed with dad uncovering that. And we would have never been able to spend that time together, to laugh together and to cry together if the chair hadn't failed in the first place. You know, life, I think it's 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react. Life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react. Life is going to happen. Things get warped. Things get glued on the wrong way. But we are the ones that choose how to react. And so often we fail to realize that how we react dictates our future. And next week as part of this collection of talks, we're going to be talking about suicide. And I think it's going to be one of the most serious messages that we've ever brought in church. And you know, if you look at the research, at least in the US, the number one cause of suicide is depression. Most of you probably would have picked that up already without research. But if you look at the number three or four cause of suicide in the US, it's a negative event. A negative event that clouds our judgment that causes us to think that there's nothing else to live for. And when I think about that statistic, I think about Peter and Judas, Jesus' 
disciples, followers of Jesus. Some of you may know the story of Peter, Peter and Judas. I'll just cover it real quickly right now. Peter and Judas had the exact same job, follow Jesus. Peter and Judas went to all the same places as Jesus for at least three years. And as you begin to look at their lives, what you'll discover is that two people can go through the exact same events and have two totally different reactions. You've seen that around, haven't you? Two people can go through the exact same event and have two different reactions. It's like an argument. One person sitting on one side going, you're an idiot. The other person on the other side isn't going, yes, I'm an idiot, are they? They're going, I see this differently. I'm no idiot, you're the idiot. And it goes back and forth. You see, Peter and Judas, they were both there on the side of the hill. When Jesus gathered 5,000 men, and there were women and children, and he had nothing to feed them with until a boy came with his two fish and five loaves, and he broke it and blessed it and multiplied it and fed the 5,000. Peter and Judas were on that hill. Peter and Judas were there in John 1 and 2 at the party where Jesus turned water into wine, not just bad wine, not just any wine, but the Bible says the best wine. Peter and Judas were at that party. Peter and Judas were there when Jesus spat in a guy's face, basically. Mixed it with sand and mud and caused a blind man to see. Peter and Judas were there. And Peter and Judas, they actually failed the same way too. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus. Judas, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, didn't he? He said to the soldiers that were coming to take Jesus away, I will kiss the man on the cheek that you were to take away. And what I love about that story is as Judas approaches Jesus, Jesus calls him friend. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that unconditional love? That the man that would be the catalyst for Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus knowing full well what he was about to do, would call him friend. Do you know what that tells me? That even when I commit my worst act, I have a God that still calls me friend. And so church, before we go any further this morning, you've got to know that you are never too far gone. Our God has an unconditional love for you and I. Peter, he betrayed Jesus to a little girl. I almost think his story is a little bit worse. Jesus told him, Hey, Peter, you're going to betray me before this rooster crows. And I imagine Peter being like, nah, that's a Judas kind of thing to do. But sure enough, sure enough, by that fire, he says, no, I don't even know Jesus. And he betrayed him in that moment. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus. Look at this. Judas betrayed Jesus because he got paid. But Peter betrayed Jesus because he was afraid. And you might be in a tough season this morning. And maybe you feel as though you've failed. You've failed at, at life, at your marriage, at getting the right score as you exit high school or picking the right career path. But listen to me this morning. Failure is not final. Failure is formative. Your failures matter just as much as your success. Failure is an event. It is never a person. Failure is the fuel to your future. You actually have to fail in order to succeed. It's part of the story. If the chair 
hadn't have broken, we wouldn't have been talking about it today, right? It's part of the story. Just because you fail doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have a bright future for you. See, all of my success is stacked upon failure. You need to discover this morning that the joy is not in the process, in the success. The joy is in the process. Failure is framing up the story for God to tell. Failure is the fuel for your future. So what reaction will we have? What response will we have? What perspective will we take? What reaction will we have? If, t- if life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react, what reaction will we have? Judas, he ultimately committed suicide. He chose a permanent solution for a temporary problem. Peter, he went on to be the leader of the New Testament church. He was the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and here we are today. Peter is the one that penned the words in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. Cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares about you. Now he didn't just write those words, did he? He lived those words. We're going to understand the context of Peter's journey with Jesus as he declares that statement. Cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares about you. Everyone say, but how? I thought you'd never ask. How? What does that actually look like? What does it mean to cast my anxieties onto him? I can't even identify what is going on on the inside of me. So how on earth am I going to cast that onto our God, right? Well, I want to explore that this morning. I want to look at this book called The Happiness Equation. Right, I didn't say the Bible. It's a secular book. It's simply focused on science and research. And in it, the author talks about five key steps to happiness. And if you're squirming in your seat, we are getting to the Bible, I promise. What I want to do here, though, is look at these five key steps from science and research that point us towards, I'm going to call them hacks to happiness. But as I look at them, I don't want you to think at them, of them as like this temporary solution. We're not trying to just give a temporary band-aid to our problems. We're actually trying to build up habits, right? Because our reactions can actually be a result of our habits. And they can be a response to our habits. I think about it this way. He didn't react, did he? Throw him back to me. Now he's got him. What did he learn? That when the keys come, I catch them, right? And we can keep going, forming a habit. And he begins to know when something's coming at me, this is the response that I'm supposed to form. And then if I go like this, Michael having... Michael, we drop the balls sometimes, guys. We're imperfect. God isn't looking for perfect people. And so Michael, he knew how to respond because he watched someone else. And it's the power of community. So as we journey through these this morning, would you journey through them with that mindset? I'm not trying to find a temporary fix. I'm trying to build habit on the inside. So even if I'm feeling good, 
when trouble comes my way, I know how to respond. Are you ready? Everyone say one. Three walks. Number one. You've probably worked out by now. In fact, really, it's only in this modern society that people have begun to work this out, that our mind and our emotions are connected to our physical body. So if we're stuck in our mind and emotions, what can we do? We could change the pace. We could change the environment. We could get out and walk. And what you will find is that your emotions will probably begin to follow or they'll get left in the dark behind you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I want to challenge you this this week and into the future to take three walks a day. If you're struggling, if you feel stuck, this is one of the greatest first steps that you can do to just get out and walk. I'm not talking three marathons. I'm talking three five-minute walks a week. What does the Bible say? The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've heard that from your mom saying you need to eat healthy. You need to exercise, right? But it was a clue to us thousands of years ago that our body is connected to our spirituality. If we feel stuck in our mind, get out and move. It's one of the greatest starts that you can make. Everyone say three walks. Number two, random acts of kindness. This one's easy to understand. Feels good, doesn't it, when someone does something nice for you? It feels even better when you do something for someone else. Wasn't it Jesus that said it's greater to give than it is to receive? What would it look like if this week you paid for the person's shopping in front of you? What would it look like this week if you just dropped a care package anonymously at your neighbor's door? What would it look like if 230 people went out into this week and performed a random act of kindness in the name of Jesus? Random acts of kindness. Number three, everyone say three. A complete unplug. Oh, I hate this one. This is my one. This is my challenge, at least for the week, because I've got a condition called FOMO, fear of missing out. It's a serious, serious problem, and I find it hard to detach myself, and I need to fight to detach myself from social media and my phone. But what I've discovered is I need to fight more to engage with my family and fight more to engage with people than just through a screen. Do you know what I'm talking about? All the millennials are like, oh, I've been hearing it from everyone. But if you will join me, I've got another challenge for you this week. I'm going to switch off my phone and social media. I'm going to take calls and messages. But I'm going to switch off all the other stuff on my phone from Monday through to Wednesday. Three days. Who's with me? I need some support, guys. Who's with me? No, I got, I got, I got shaking of heads. There's an altar call at the end. I'll see you there. Everyone say four. Two-minute meditations. Once a day at least. Stop. Pause. In silence. Empty your mind. But remember, we're Christians, right? So we don't want to just empty our mind. An empty mind's the devil's playground. We need to fill it with something good. And our scripture from today, Paul tells us exactly that in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's your clue right there, isn't it? Everyone say two-minute meditations. 
Number five, last one, five gratitudes. For me, this is one of the most powerful. Every week, end your week with five things that you are thankful for. It's simple, but it is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Why? Because gratitude is always the right attitude. And what you'll find is, as you begin to get grateful, you can't help but be joyful. What are you grateful about? Fight for it. Fight to discover the good things in your week. Everyone say gratitude. Five keys, five hacks to happiness from science and research. But I know there are some people here this morning that cliches aren't going to solve your problem. I know there are people here this morning and watching online that are on the edge of giving up, on the edge of quitting and that fanciful light at the end of the tunnel just feels like it's been snuffed out forever. I know there are people who, how they feel on the inside is beginning to feel like who they actually are. And I'm not trying to give you these five keys and say, you'll be right, mate. It's all going to be okay. You might need to get some help. You might need to see a doctor. You might need to take some medication for a season. You might need to get yourself into a connect group. You might need to get yourself into a support group. You might need to do these five hacks to happiness. But in doing all of these, and everyone this morning, in doing all of these things, we better also take Paul's prescription from Philippians 4. In doing all these things, we better also take his prescription. It's not either or. It's both and. I just gave you five keys from research and science, but what you'll discover is as you begin to explore your Bible, that science and research is only just beginning to catch up with God's Word. Amen? Take all of that stuff, but you better also take Paul's prescription too. He wrote it to a church in Philippi that was suffering, that was suffering with pain and with lack, and they had issues. And he wrote in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do you know what casting your cares onto God looks like? It looks like rejoicing. Casting your cares onto God takes trust, right? I think one of the greatest evidences of trust is that you actually celebrate that thing. To rejoice in it, to find joy in it, to seek joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. How often? What does always mean? What does always in the Greek mean? Rejoice when? Always. He's pretty clear, isn't he? And I love Paul because he's got that preacher heart that when he thinks he's got a good point, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. In life, you're going to learn that this word happiness, it's a feeling. This word happiness, it's an emotion. This word happiness, it comes and it goes. It's fleeting. It's not a bad word. It's a beautiful word, but it's just an emotion. And apparently God has something bigger for you than that. God has something for you called joy. And you can't find joy on the surface of your problems. You might need to carve a little bit deeper 
into that wood. Tear a little bit back, sand a little bit off until you can discover the beauty of joy. Because in all circumstances, we can learn to react with joy. In all circumstances, we can learn to choose joy. Paul is saying rejoice always. Before you knock it, you better try it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. You can't do either of those things quietly, can you? You can't do either of those things with just a smile on your face. You've got to use your voice. You've got to stand up and say, I've got a reason to praise my God. I've got a reason to say that He is the name above all names, the King of kings, my Savior. I can't just sit quietly and declare, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Say it again. Rejoice. Amen? If life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we react, how will we react? What if you went back to the chair? What if you went back to the piece of the wood and said, I want to keep going? What if there was fulfillment in there? What if there was satisfaction in there? What if there was joy to be found in there? What if you went deeper and reacted the right way? Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord. So that means when I finally get the job that I've always dreamed of, what do I do? That means when I finally get married, I've been seeking that partner for so long, and I found her and then I finally get married, what do I do? They're getting carried away because I teased them earlier. That means that when I finally have that baby that we've been trying for for so long and then God blesses us with this beautiful child, what should you do? What should you do? It's not just sometimes, is it? So when you lose the job, that you'd always dreamt of, what should you do? So when your marriage is struggling and you don't know if it's going to work out, what should you do? Are you thinking about it? So we don't have enough money, money to pay the mortgage, what should you do? When the doctor comes back and he says, hey, the report, it's not good. I don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. What should you do? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul's writing a prescription here for the church in Philippi, for, a church, for, for us today as well. And so often we bypass it. So often we forget it. But he's saying, I want you to learn the right reaction. Why? Because there's a promise on the other side of rejoicing. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So rejoice. Bring to Him that what you are seeking. And then verse 7, here comes the promise. And the peace of God. The peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You don't need peace when things are going good, do you? You don't need peace in promotion. You don't need peace on the mountaintop, but the very fact that our God is promising us peace means that we can know that when we life gets chaotic, when trouble comes our way, that He will be there with us also. That He has something for us. His peace, this fulfillment, this satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else in the world. You might be saying this morning, you don't understand. It's not that simple. I've been dealing with this for years and years and years. It's so big and I'm so tired. But that's what's incredible about our Bible. It doesn't just say peace. It says peace that transcends all understanding. So if your problem's too big, if your trouble just won't seem to go away, it's too complicated, no one understands. Transcends means to jump over, to get through. Our God has an illogical peace for you. Our God has a peace that surpasses all understanding. A God has a peace that transcends the stuff that we can't seem to even comprehend. That will what? That will guard our hearts and guard our minds. Our God wants us to have peace in our heart and in our minds. I'm going to ask the team to join me right now. You know this peace that transcends all understanding? It's got a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. As Boyet so beautifully did in communion, who went to a cross for us to make a way where there seemed to be no way. Peace has a name and his name is Jesus. And he's still a healer. He's still the same Jesus that fed the 5,000. He's still the same Jesus that caused the blind to see. He's still the same Jesus that rose Lazarus from the dead. The same Jesus that went to a party and turned water into wine. The same God, yesterday, today, and forever. And He's still healing people today. I believe our God has healing for us this morning. I believe that our God can heal mental health. I believe that our God can transcend depression. I believe that our God can surpass anxiety. I'm not saying just pray it away, just believe it away. I'm saying He can. He is our healer. I'm saying it's both end. Do all of those things. Seek all of that help because it's the wise thing to do. But don't not take Paul's prescription. Rejoice in the Lord always and the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. His name is Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to go into a time of worship. And over the next three weeks, we're going to open up a time of ministry. And during this COVID pandemic that we are still in, we're going to, ta- we're going to respect our government's guidelines. But I will be asking for any of you 
that need to declare with your body that you're rejoicing this morning, that maybe feel stuck on the inside to get unstuck, to make your way just down to the front. We call it the altar. I'll ask you to spread out a fair bit. And this morning, we're not going to be having people laying hands on you, but I am going to ask Pastor Bron, Aaron, maybe Don and Joan as well to just jump up the front here. And they're going to pray over you as you stand here. I want you to know if you want prayer specifically, you can go up to the prayer point after the service. But as we worship, would you be bold? Would you be courageous? Courageous enough to say, hey, I need help. And I'm going to seek that help. But I'm going to come to my God first and ask Him as healer to bring His peace and His healing into my body this morning. Can we do that together, church? I want to make an extra challenge to the dads in this room to go first, to lead your family with courage, to lead your family in the ways of our God and to say, hey, I'm here so you can come with me as well. Maybe you need to stand in the gap for someone this morning that you know is struggling. Join me at the front here, would you? As we sing this song, let's do it, church.